We're back. Show number 18, everybody. Coffee chatter. We got a special guest coming on, Terry. Who is it? We got Mark Willers coming on the show today. We've got a, a lot the of 777. The triple seven, yeah. We've had a lot of people asking to have him on. I think for a good reason. I think he'll be a great podcast. Yeah, I've been wanting to have him on for a while. He's a really interesting guy. Had a really good career. He's into some interesting business stuff now. It'll be fun to talk to him about it. Yeah, great career. One of the... Uh, the All-timers. All-timers, for sure. He's an all-timer. All-time He's yeah. an all-timer. One of the characters on Tour 2 wasn't afraid to speak his mind, yep. which was... You know, you know, we don't get. I guess we do have some of those in our. Sport we don't too, get enough right? now, especially. Everyone's like, too scared to speak their mind. It feels that way. Everyone's yeah. too scared to speak their mind. I don't know, but Graf, Sylvan, they speak their mind. They do, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people, like most people, don't. It seems like they don't. Most yeah. people, especially people with a good following, are just too scared to do anything that they don't speak their mind about anything. That's part of one of the rants we want to have, like discussion topics today. We'll get into that later. Um, so we got Willie coming on the show. Um, he's a good guy. Like even when I first came into Elite and I was a young guy and stuff, and he was killing it, he was always super nice. Yeah. Okay. Always really cool. I don't really know him from like older than probably like 2010 days racing. I just remember the 2010 main in Chula when Sylvan parked him over the second <laughs> turn. That's my favorite race of all time. So <laughs> that was yeah. a good one. That was a good one. I, I put Willers off and turned in Phoenix in 2011 for third in a main. Really? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, I was in like fifth, and I passed Yelly for fourth, and I was trying to pass the Willers for third, and missed my break, and just sent him last <laughs> year. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, I awesome. felt kind of bad because I didn't mean to do it. Yeah, but, I mean it's for podium. It's yeah, exactly it's for podium. Yeah, uh, he was always cool with that kind of stuff though. Like even when Sylvan parked him or I parked, he wasn't a dick. Yeah, you know what he could have been as an older guy and us being younger, but he knew his race. He was kind of like yeah, whatever. Cool. Yeah, shit happens. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. Um, winning starts with the Great Gate. Too bad they didn't have a Great Gate in Prague. That track isn't winning. They don't have a Pro Gate. Hey, what was that all about? I don't know. I just saw like... They need a Pro Gate Europe. They do need a Pro Gate Europe. I just saw them off with the grinder out there just doing something, trying to get some traction on the gate or something. I know. I saw Liam's story. It looked janky as fuck. Yeah, that was really weird. So, Also, shout out uh, Motorsheets.com. They're on board for this show. They have sports timing systems, event scoring, online entry management... Uh, Etc. You name it. Go to motorsheets.com for more information. We're supposed to be getting some uh, shaker bottles. They're, I think they're sending some shaker. You never bottles have enough, enough protein. No. If we get some uh, extra shaker bottles, then maybe we'll do a giveaway. I switched to vegan protein. It's gross. Vegan. Tori, guys, if you want to know, he is his diet is completely swapped now. Mm-hmm. He doesn't eat carb. He doesn't eat anything good. He just eats. Gotta keep it tight, bro. Yeah. Gotta keep it tight. But you do have a cool garden. I do have a, I have a bitchin' garden. Yeah, the garden's Got pretty Lettuce, bitchin'. peas, broccoli. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty badass. Yeah. Uh, quickly, also, too, we did want to mention, I've seen it on social media a bit, too, had a few uh, sad moments in our sport. Um, Ryder passing away in Rock, Rockford. That sucked. That was a suck to hear. Uh, but we also have a rider, I think, from GB. He's a 15-year-old Edward Pohl. Uh, he recently had a BMX a- accident as well that's left him uh, paralyzed, unfortunately. So... Uh, to help raise money for him to support his next, uh, I guess, next journey in life. Um, they're doing a, I guess, a parade lap at Zolder before the World Champs there, uh, July 21st. So if you guys are out there going to the world, you want to take part in that, go donate to the cause. Uh, you can go pay on the day or via PayPal. I think that's what I was told. So, uh, yeah, help it out. Go for a parade lap around Zolder. Tough week in the DMX world. It's so sad, the kid passing away in, in Rockford and Edward Pohl having that horrific accident. Awful. Yeah. So. Feel so sad for them and their families, and yeah, that's tough, a tough, one. tough week. Yeah. yeah, it's cool to see the BMX world come together and show their support. It's such a big family. Yeah, it, 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 really, it is. really is. Yeah, everybody cares for everyone. Like, even though if we so. haven't even met them, like it's such a big family. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. 
Um, on a happier note, we had a good camp at Edmonton this weekend. Great camp. Great camp. Had a lot of fun out of YG BMX, Edmonton BMX. Sold out five three-hour camps Saturday and Sunday. Holy 30 smoke. in each. That was a big weekend. That was huge. That, that was, was a big so weekend. Much fun. We saw a lot of different faces. Yep. A few familiar ones from last year, too. Yep, yep. Some of the same ones we coached last year. So yep. thanks for having us at Edmonton BMX. Great turnout. The kids were really good. Like Calvin McRae, he already coaches them as the club coach there. You could tell they knew what they were doing. Really coachable. Nice families. All eager to learn, too. Yeah, all eager, to, eager to learn. Track was welcoming. So all in all, no complaints. Yeah, thank you, guys. I've never been... I never stood on my feet. Oh, my low back is Holy still tight. Back. Never stood on my feet oh. for that long in two days. Like, I think I was, was exhausted. I think I was more tired from that weekend than I am a race weekend. You straight up. Because Saturday we went 9 to 12, 1 to 4, and 5 to 8. That was a big day. Yeah, yeah. That was a big day. I think I lost my voice a little bit. I know, I know. I was struggling, so. It's so funny listening to little kids talk. They just have no filter, and they're so innocent. <laughs> like, they just blur stuff out. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. So, another thing. Okay, so your Toyota sponsorship was finally yes, released sir, on finally. Instagram. Signed it in January. Is that when it was? Signed it in January. Got the car, got the truck. The week of the Papandal World Cup, so I did for some filming for them that week. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, announced it June 12th, so pretty stoked. That's freaking awesome. Pretty stoked. Never want to drive a car again. You just want to stay in the, the truck? The truck is dope, yeah. yeah. It's Every- got a snorkel, too, when I, <laughs> when I fully submerge. <laughs> I got to take it off-roading. Yeah, you got to take it off. You got to take it off-roading. I've never been off-roading, but now that I have a snorkel and a bunch of crap on it. You got to go find some big-ass <laughs> puddles. That's Tori blowing his nose. Dude, my allergies are killing me. Are they? My aller- eyes and nose are running like crazy. They're killing me. Well, it's good thing. Keep that truck closed. Let the snorkel breathe for you. you know, Just let the snorkel eat. <laughs> so, race on the weekend? Yeah, race, uh, race in Prague. That's our race to talk about. Um, first day, I saw, the I think it's the local guy. I would assume local, Topinka. How do you say his name? Has he ever been podium in the world at a Euro Cup before? Um, not that I'm aware of. I don't actually know his background much. I don't really know much about him. But I saw he won the first day, and I was kind of surprised because like yeah, the GB team was there. I saw Sylvan was there. there. Sylvan, yeah. So I wonder if he's a local guy that won. Might have been, yeah. yeah. He popped one off in that main by the looks of yeah. it, and then uh, he got him. But yeah, Kyle won the second day, I think. Simona doing the pro set. Yeah. I think girls should or women should be able to jump the pro set if they can do it. As a in a race. In a race as like a um to be to, as an advantage. Okay, so as like an alternate line, like yeah, you take as an alternate line. line. Well, why not? Maker. Well, why not? Yeah, okay, that's fair. I mean, at the end of the day, if it is faster, it's not. It, you wouldn't think it's going to interfere with the other. Riders. No, I think it'll be fine. Yeah, and if they can do it, why not? Like, yeah. Why are we limiting them? That's fair. Yeah, I guess in the ABA at the Grands, we have a decision maker, right, where anybody can yeah. do it. Yeah, I say it's more dangerous. It's probably less dangerous because they're spread out more. A little bit, yeah. And it's really exciting if you see like one or oh, two girls like, mid-pack just dart off, go for the pro set. Can you imagine the World Cup if like the woman in third just sends the pro set and passed her first or something? How sick would that, that be? That would be badass. I know. What tracks though could they really do that again? I guess Argentina. They could probably do Argentina. Argentina. think it'd be faster. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, a Argentina, bit. Manchester, but I don't know if it's faster. But it'd be yeah. cool. It, if it worked out, it would be sick. It would be really badass. Like, why not? Yeah, so maybe we should send a message to UCI. Ask them if we can do a decision maker for the ladies. I remember Stephanie Hernandez in Rotterdam got cut off into the uh, men's side. I had to jump the first ones in the yeah, pro section. Yeah, yeah, she jumped in. Yeah. <laughs> I was like waiting beside the hills. What the hell is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong way. That was cool. That would be cool though if we had a decision maker. That would what? Be cool. It would add so much excitement. It would, yeah. Like yeah. Elise, Mariana, Laura, they could all do it. I'm sure a yeah. bunch of other girls could do it. Simona obviously can. Yeah. Yeah, she won both days. Yeah, it would be a big advantage. And then you'd, the women would be rewarded for being able to do bigger jumps. It would actually advance the progression because you get rewarded for having that skill instead of just posting on Instagram for likes. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Because nowadays, like they can do it, but a lot of them are probably like, "Hey, we can do it, but what's the point?" We that's actually a big thing. Yeah. So they don't really need to. Yeah. But if they can do it in a race, 
Well, why wouldn't you have that? Oh. In your, have that in your bag. Yeah, no, no doubt. Isn't that the? Uh, didn't they talk about at the O show? The second straight's going to be one straight away, but the third straight's going to be decision. Like I heard, the second straight's going to be one. I don't know how it's going to work because how are we going to be challenged Enough. at the same time? I know. Unless they do somehow do triples and somehow work it like that, that's going to be really hard to do. I think. Like what they did to China a little bit at the race there. I don't know if anybody saw that. Oh, one. I don't remember the track. It was one straight away, second straight. And I guess there was an option. I don't. I only saw it, but it looked like there was an option to jump onto a double or something or a table. But when it was windy, you couldn't really do it. My initial thought is that's just so stupid. I kind of agree too. Just make a pro set. <laughs> My but initial thought is it's so stupid. Yeah, but that's what I was thinking though. But if it is one straight, then you get to the third straight. It should be just make a decision maker. If we're challenged, then fine. Yeah. And if it's if we're challenged and it works for men and women, then okay. But if like if we're not challenged and it's like stupid, then I think it's really dumb. Yeah, I completely agree. But we'll have to see. We'll have I, to see. Well, I still. I, I hope you're the one going to test it. That'd be cool. I wish I was, but I'm probably not because I'm number ten in line. But I tell them to make it more technical. I don't like that we can ride tracks before. Like I've said this before. No, it's stupid. I think it is. It's we need stupid. to test it as our like our skill level to be able to learn a track and race yep. a track. Yeah. We don't need three days to learn a track and then to race on it. I used to be the other way. I used to be like, why don't we just have it open the whole week? I used mm-hmm. to think that, but now I'm the opposite because now the skill of learning a track is out, is gone. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me. I know. And anybody that yeah. can do anything can ride the track because yeah. they just memorize it. Yeah. yeah. So that's another, that's a rant, but that's a beside the so rant. Nick sent in a rant. That's a pretty good one. Just, uh, athletes on social media not being able to show their true self. No pictures or videos of drinking or partying because we're out of the constant eye of social media. Goes even though one of them, one, what kind of fucking English is this? <laughs> even though one of some legal age should be doing so. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's crap. That is we all do crap. that kind of stuff. We're normal people. Just because yeah. you're an Olympic athlete or professional athlete, BMX race or whatever, you're a normal person. And we all know we do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Sponsors know we do. Why can't we just be who we are? Yeah, I mean, that's true. I think the problem is that everybody's just scared to show because they don't want to have that image of they're the party guy that doesn't care. And, like, they don't get taken seriously. But, but the, yeah. And if you're in the public eye, anything you do, it gets scrutinized, which is ridiculous. Because, for instance, I think the world, like, whether you vote, whoever you vote politically or whatever, who cares, like take that out of it we're so hard on politicians yeah i think in general what politician like says something or does something we don't like we just crucify them they make one mistake in their it's like their do speech. we not make yeah. those mistakes that they do they're humans like us yeah and, and yet the same things happens with athletes yeah it's very true yeah an athlete makes a mistake that's in the public eye and they do something that people do every day and all of a sudden it's like some huge news when when <laughs> any of us probably did the same thing before yeah no it's that's very true yeah yeah i don't really get that either I think, and we're lucky enough, I think, that right for answer, John Sora, he'd be very all aboard. Like, <laughs> he would just love it. But yeah, there are people that probably think they see that. And yeah. Like, but it's like... But you should be trying your true self. That's what makes us who I we know. Are. And like we've talked about before, people know when you're being fake. Exactly. They know when you're just putting on a front and they don't... Like, if you just post stuff on Instagram generic, you, they're not getting to know you. I completely agree. They're not getting to know you. They're just seeing photos. Like, yeah. so. I'm not, I don't think we should also just be, you know, posting every photo of just drinking. No, but I mean. If you are having a good time with your friends or whatever. Why, why can't we just, if we go out and party, why can't we just post a photo of us just, I don't know, drinking or whatever? What about smoking weed? Because that's legal in Canada nowadays. I guess that's still touched around the world because it's legal in Canada, but not legal everywhere else. So I think it's still like. A little hesitant. Yeah, yeah, people. yeah. It's still weird. I still think yeah, it's Yeah, yeah, I know. But, I know. Huh. Um, so Willie. So Willers, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Should we get him on the show? Let's get him on the line. All right. All right, James on the line. We got multiple World Cup winner, 2011 ABA number one pro. What else? One New of the Z- all-time greats of our sport, in my opinion. New Zealand two-time Olympian, Willie777. Mark Willers, welcome. Thank you very much, guys. It's an honor to be here. 
How are things going? Thank you for the, for the great intro. It's a bit of a flashback. <laughs> Must feel like a while ago. Oh, it's, it was a lifetime ago, I tell you. Does it feel like a different life now? It does. That's why the, the second iteration of it didn't go so well. <laughs> <laughs> how, how was the Ryder Corner? Did you enjoy it? I did. And I enjoyed being at the racing and catching up with everybody, but it just... I mean, we could get into more of this later, but I felt like my, what the sport needed was more than what I was willing to give it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you still do you still watch the races and everything now that you're retired? Uh, I watched a bunch of them a few months back when Yvonne called me about that. <laughs> I had to do a little uh, a little catch up, but to be honest, it was it was a complete. Um, flip of the switch the opposite direction and didn't really keep a pulse on much you know yeah yeah did you like when you retired did you feel like you just wanted to get away from it for a bit because you'd been in it for so long yeah like my, my mind had been wandering pre-retirement anyway and so then once I officially had all the spare time um it just kind of really got to wander off in other directions and um, there's just been, there's no looking back. Yeah. When did you actually turn, or when did you become elite? I really uh, know. I was racing, pretty much racing pro in New Zealand when I was 16. Um, and then I went to my first, was it 2000 and when was Vulcan Swire? 2004? Yeah, 04, yeah. Yeah, that was my first Elite Worlds uh, that I was, I think it was I 18 or 19 at that one. Okay. I was 18 at that one, and then 05, the year later, uh, when I was 19, was in Paris, yeah. And so, was your last, your last race was the Sweden World Cup, right? Pretty much. I went to the Grands that year, but... Did a couple of laps of practice and decided watching was better. <laughs> so we did it for the fans. Just came out for a little parade lap. <laughs> yeah, the, the the goodbye, the farewell tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What have you been What have you been doing since then? I know you've been in uh, a variety of kind of different things. Yeah. Um, just uh, mainly focusing on the weed industry or the the cannabis business as it's known these days. Um, and I was catching wind of it towards the end of my career and um, started using it to help me get off sleeping pills, which was um, getting to the the best of me towards the end of it. Um, And then, you know, I heard rumors that Canada was legalizing and then California had already been um, legal for so long and all these other things and... um, I was like, huh, seems to be a bit of an opportunity here. And so that just went down a wormhole and five years later, um, we're here and every day it's just, I'm learning more and more, trying to trying to wait for that right moment to, to capitalize on it all. You know, it's, um, it's very a very interesting industry and, you know, it's like starting, you know, you don't take, take for granted um, how easy things are 
and start completely from scratch. <laughs> you know, it's, it's humbling to know that you walk outside that BMX track and you ain't fucking nobody. Yeah. <laughs> you got to start from scratch somewhere else. And it's, it's certainly um, an eye-opener, but I think at the same time, what made me a successful BMXer is um, what's going to help me succeed in anything that I do in life. Yes. What did you, so did you start taking sleeping pills at the races to help you sleep and then you just kind of needed them to help you sleep and, or what happened with that? At first it was starting from traveling from New Zealand all the time with all those long haul flights and then um, as it went through the years it was, you'd take it the night before racing because you get nervous and then you'd take it a couple of nights before racing and then take it a couple of weeks and then take it for months before and... <laughs> All of a sudden, it's just every night, and it was, uh, you know, my, my eyesight was getting all funky, and I didn't know what was going on, so um, it was time to time to make a switch, but... This is me kind of being, like, unknown and of sleeping pill stuff, but what kind of sleeping pills are you talking about? Because I'm guessing, I know you're not talking about melatonin. <laughs> no. No, um, I know that. What's uh, the one doctor's the blue pill called Zopaclone. Zopaclone, yeah. That's yeah. one the doctor. Yeah, okay, I yeah. have some of those for when I travel too, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so the night that got me was um, Rotterdam Worlds. I had nine of those Zopaclones. Holy shit. And uh, I think six or seven um, of some, what's the. The uh, Z-Quil, you know, oh, yeah. just that shit. Yeah, yeah, Z-Quil or stuff. yeah, NyQuil, yeah. yeah. So I'd take, I'd take that stuff to mellow me out because that was never strong enough to, to knock me out, but it would kind of sink me into the couch for a good hour or so, and then once it was time to go to bed, I'd just take one or however many of the Zopper clones to, to do the job and <laughs> make me see dragons and hallucinate and all sorts of shit, and then <laughs> pass out and go to bed. Holy shit. And the crazy part, like, I find, like, a lot of doctors nowadays, especially, they don't even ask questions. Like, they'll just pre prescribe you something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, what I've learned since with regards to alternative options and shit, it's, yeah, you know, I think the world's slowly going to catch up and realize what's been going on. Yeah. It's, yeah. It seems like we're slowly starting to learn. I mean, weed's a, I guess you'd say safer alternative. I mean, it really is, right? Yeah, zero, zero overdose deaths. Um, you know, it's, it, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, everything, everything is, has its benefits and everything has its negatives, you know? Um, everyone's got an argument for, for both sides of the fence, but push comes to shove, the, the positives of taking this plant out of, prohibition and regulating it and getting safe access to everybody who needs it um that's the key yeah 100 percent agree so you're switching to cannabis is there a point where you just were looking for other ways to kind of help you sleep and relax in the evenings without taking sleeping pills and is that what uh, made you initially try cannabis and kind of uh, learn more about the plant <laughs> and, um, you know, it just absolutely floored me. I 
and smoked. I smoked a couple of joints way back, you know, somewhere between the age of 15 and 17-ish. Um, but ever since that first New Zealand BMX trip to the Vulcan-Swide Worlds, you know, that was when the day we stepped onto the drug testing thing. And so um, I was clean ever since, and it never crossed my mind to even look at it. Yeah. Um, and then as I was learning about, as I got high and it knocked me on my ass and put me to sleep and I woke up again the next day, I'm like, holy shit. And so I started researching it more. And then I also happened, shortly after, also happened to walk into another mate's house who had a grow in his bedroom. And that, that was a Halloween party, actually. And that like instantly just killed my Halloween night because I was like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> and so like, I was like, this is legal? Like, how much are you making here? Blah, blah, blah. And so, like, instantly killed it and I was just on Google researching everything and within 48 hours, my um, guest bedroom was, and my condo was fully equipped with grow equipment and we were underway. <laughs> and then, it just, uh, I got deeper and deeper involved in the industry and learning all about plants and the business and all that kind of stuff and then as California was um, legalizing I realized that my resources would only go so far by myself and so and I realized everyone else in the world through Wall Street and stock market and all those things you always hear about someone's going to get rich off this and so it was time to figure out how the other side plays the game. And so, for the last two and, yeah, just over two years, I've been um, turning what I've learned in the cannabis industry and trying to capitalize on it financially. Yeah, good for you, because I think nowadays, too, it's becoming so mainstream. I mean, Canada's legalized it, a lot of states have. Um, I think there's going to be a, a lot more people looking into it or investing in it or using it in general. I think it's about to... I'm going to sound like I'm in a, I know I sound like a complete hippie. <laughs> um, excuse me, my medicine's getting to me. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's the opportunity of a lifetime. It's not just... Now, it sounds so unbelievable that it sounds like bullshit coming out of my own mouth, but what this plant can do beyond getting high is incredible, from concrete to... Um, biodiesels to supercapacitors to clothing to you know fucking you name it weed is somehow related to making it better than what we have it now you know it's, it's been around for thousands of years and it's only been illegal for the last 90 now you go back to the 1920s and read the American Medical Association journals and shit and there's chapters in there about medical cannabis but then they just wiped that clean and turned it into a racist thing and loaded up the prisons and now it's going full circle and people are figuring out that it's actually good for you i know it's a natural plant i think it's idiotic that it's that it's been illegal yeah yes yeah. it's, it's scary you know? It's, you know i'm sitting here smoking a joint and you know, as california legalized um like early I mean, it, it had been medical since 96 here, but even when they 
officially changed the allowances or whatever on January 1st of last year. And you're just walking down the street smoking a joint and you just think, you know, yesterday, I mean, even today, if, you just, if you're black or you're, you know, of colour or a minority, chances are you're going to get fucking arrested for smoking that joint. But when we're white just walking down the street, you know, they, they don't care. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking, you know, when you think about how wild that is, now you can just, you know, how it's an everyday thing now. And just two years ago, you could have got sent to prison for fucking 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then you can buy as much alcohol as you want. <laughs> um, one of the Midwest ones, there's a dude in prison now for 35 years because he had, like, it's legal in the state. Recreationally legal, but he's in prison for 35 years because he had three pounds on back in the fucking 90s, whenever it was. Yeah, but then you can drink yourself to death and that's all fine. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. No. Yeah. No. Huh. But, yeah. Well, it's cool to see you found... How's your new BMX game? You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. I enjoyed doing it in France, to be honest. Um... I was pretty nervous to do the Riders Corner, like the first first couple people on Saturday. I was pretty nervous, um, but then after I started, it was, it was fun to do. So are you, you going to do the rest of them? Are you confirmed, or was it just a one-off? I don't know. For now, it's a one-off, so I'll have to see how my head goes and stuff. But um, if I'm not racing, yeah, I'll do it. I'll oh, do nice. it. Yeah. So, Mark, shifting kind of focus now to your career. Um, you obviously grew up in New Zealand, and then when did you move to the U.S.? Uh, I first came out in 2008 and stayed with um, Dale Holmes uh, here in Marietta um, for pre, what was that, pre-Olympics, yeah, pre-Beijing Olympics, uh, on the free agent squad, and then tried to make a little run at it, um, I think I did a couple of nationals, and um, I think I went to Grants. But then I ended up getting, I think I went home to New Zealand for nationals early 2009 and jumped a triple, flat landed, dislocated my shoulder and then that kind of snowballed for the next, I didn't know what happened, like I just kind of, I didn't fall off or anything, my arm just went numb and then by the time I got to the next corner it was, you know, back again. Jesus. But then that kind of snowballed out over the the next few months and I went back to the States and then come back, went back to New Zealand for surgery oh, sometime after South Africa in 09 and then made, had my big reincarnation over that Christmas New Year's period, um, met my new trainer, John Cowell from out here. He moved to New Zealand to do his PhD on BMX, and um, he was a US guy, and met him, and we clicked really well. He was a no-bullshit kind of guy, and um, had a real head on his shoulders, not just in, not just around training and that, but life in general, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we kind of just set out and started conquering the world, got back to... I think Copenhagen World Cup in 2010 was my, my first race back. Uh, no, that's a lie. It was 
whatever Italy race the weekend before that one was when everyone was crashing. Oh, the, the death Six track. people taken to the hospital. Yeah, the death track. Was it bad? Yeah. Like a hundred oh, people went to the hospital or some shit. Seriously? Yeah, it was peaky as hell. And I, I remember, I heard a story like people... I think the ambulance like called the police that said something unsafe was going on. Really? Yeah. 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 Oh my I god. I think New Zealand lost about six of our eight riders or something. Holy shit. That was gnarly. But uh, yeah, that was that was the first big race back after surgery, and then um, from there went back to the states and started clicking at the ABA rounds. And um, basically, once we got back to the the states. Mid two thousand and ten, I started podiuming um, at ABA, and then thought, "Shit, this is easy enough." <laughs> <laughs> got to got to experience the two thousand and ten Grands. Um, you know, going into it with a like, there was no shot, but there was a mathematical chance that I could get a title behind Sam and uh, Maris, but then. Uh, Maris blew himself up. What was it? First moto. Yeah, that was my uh, first ever elite moto. I was in that moto. <laughs> oh. First ever double A moto. Yeah, and then, but that kind of, you know, that that race, those three mains in the Sanger was the last main. And I told Sam this in uh, Papendale recently. I was like, that was one of like I had no chance of winning, but how we raced. Like, just elbow to elbow, it was one of the most exciting races I've ever done, you know? Yeah. And we weren't, we weren't trying to blow each other up in each turn, but we were just holding lines and just scrapping for it. Yeah. You, you, two, had some re- you two had some really good races. There were some good laps, good laps. I'd like Joris to give me a couple of them back as well. <laughs> so you're, you're someone, like, you worked with uh, the guy, but... You, you did a lot of stuff and kind of training and on your own because I remember you used to go to races on your own and kind of do your own thing. Is that something you just like to do? Yeah, I like to... A big thing was... A big thing of mine was meditation and not having any distractions, both in training and um, racing and stuff. You know, there was two ways to look at it. You could either put yourself... If you think racing is, you know, you're always under pressure during racing, then you can put yourself under pressure during training to make it, you know, put something on the line to make training feel that just as bad. Or you have to make racing feel just as relaxed as you are during training. I mean, and the moral of the story is you just don't want any distractions. And so I just really focused on meditation and not having distractions and so I'd book my own flights to races and get my own car and my own room and then um, just pull up to the race, go to practice, speak to whoever it was about, you know, you know this, I was obviously not 100% of the time like this but, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to go around and hang out and chat with people but once it was business time I would do my lap, I'd go back to the car kick open the windows, kick back and do some meditation and wait for the call up and go back to the next one. And that was, it was working, you know, I didn't, I didn't care and, um, and everyone else was having fun and whatnot. I was, I was there to win and didn't want to do anything else. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, yeah, because, I mean, I think even on Sam's podcast, he talked about you being one of the, 
I mean, more mentally tough guys or even like intimidating just because you kind of did your own thing like that. So it's kind of cool to hear how you just get into your own headspace like that because it's interesting to hear the different kind of ways people get themselves psyched up for a race. Some people are to get the loud music and get pumped up or you can just kind of relax yourself and be ready to go. Yeah, I said I'd listen to Sam's one and then talk to him at Papendale and uh, I said there was, there was two things that um, the 2011 Grands that knew I was going pretty good. One, I think it was the semi-final and I absolutely lit up Picard. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I must be going faster. <laughs> and then um, before, and then there was, I think I, I beat Sam in the first grade and then there was a bit of a shitstorm in the second one or something. And then I was leading on points going into the third one. And for now the last year and a half that I've been in the States, um, racing ABA, you know, Sam had been doing his own thing and I'd been doing my thing and the way that he'd go to his side of pits or whatnot and I'd go to my side of the pits and we'd just, we'd only do our own thing and it was just like a, a war of minds kind of thing and then right before the third main of the Grands, I was sitting there still doing my thing as always and out of the corner of my eye I saw Sam ride up and swoop his wheel like right in front of my front wheel to like take my focus out away from what I was doing and I was just like ha gone <laughs> instantly like knew that I'd broken it yeah fair enough but won the next one like that's badass yeah that's badass but you can have that happen you just know like yeah I got it yeah huh. yeah, yeah I was it's very it's, it's certainly something to miss but it's a, it's a great time in life when you can be, you know, so mentally confident that it, it's just yours to lose, you know. Like, I used to text Tony D um, pretty much Thursday before every ABA race and tell him um, what podiums I expected to get that weekend. Because I was so confident I knew what I was going to get. And 95% of the chance I was bang on or better than what I guess you know fuck how'd you find out was just you know, having that having that confidence in life you know it's, that's certainly something you miss for yeah, sure yeah you just feel so powerful how'd you uh, how'd you find that how'd you find it worked for you a bit of trial and error or did you just kind of knew what made you tick right away and kind of went with it it's just I was always super analytical it's I wanted to be the fastest and the best at what I did you know put a fucking tattoo on my back when I was 20, 20-ish years old. And it was like, you know, that's a statement saying whatever I do in life, you know, I'm going to make sure I'm going to be the best at doing it. Um, and so I was just completely dedicated to getting the job done and trying to associate things from other sports or other people and whatnot and figure out how that could make me better on on a bike um never got you know certainly had a lot of help from um new zealand and everything else but i still think the technology is you know it's we're still riding the same bikes we were fucking way back when true seems like it all came together in 2011 for you too because i mean you you dominated that year yeah, that was, that was really clicking. Me and 
John were really getting along, um, and it was just, you know, it was, I was, that was the year I was just super confident, and, um, it was it 2011 when, uh, Copenhagen Worlds, a whole shot at that, oh, actually, I had lane one, you know, mm-hmm. I, I fucking, I had the, had the fastest time in the semi-final, I was like, holy shit, and then, so I got lane one, and then beat Maris into the turn, coming around that second straight you know it's, it's not enough of an overshoot I don't know if I pedaled or not but you know just just enough of those floaters down the landing just to not get enough of what you need and then Joris come in under that second turn and then just started locking up and then Maris come by and I'm like oh you're kidding me <laughs> you... of all things I don't know if you remember him what was his name he was one of the photographers back then me and John, my trainer, was um, in the like the media tent afterwards, and he was some English photographer back then. Oh, Mark Lee Singh. Mark Lee Singh. Was that? Mark Lee Singh. Maybe. He was a Maybe. British guy. Went to all the races. I remember. And he comes up and he's shitting away. He's like, "Yeah, that was really good racing." Yeah, you know, Joris really fucking really deserved that word. <laughs> he was like, "Dude, fuck off." <laughs> I want to punch him in the face. You want to kill the guy. him down that rhythm track speed baby yeah (laughs) i was always curious yeah because that was a huge year for you i guess even 2010 and 2012 as well um was there anything different you did in training or was it just kind of things coming together like you said Fast the Olympics the next year too. Yeah, that's that's how you peak in practice. I tell you, <laughs> you know, I was I was feeling amazing, but I got home from that. Um, we did practice, and then the first day of racing, and I was feeling really good, but I got back to the room that night. My legs were on fire, and then that's what happened coming around that first moto on the finals day. I jumped into that um, third straight and I could just feel the fire building in my quads. And they temped, they, like, they were 
presenting it about to lock out. And so I was like, well, I can't jump the next one. I have to manual. And so then I just got stuck in a five or six manual thing in that D-pass rhythm section. And I don't know if Quendo clipped my bar or not, but it was very close and I might have just lost it um, and then just slammed both quads straight into the lip of the next roller again and added, you know, salt to the wound. <laughs> why do you think... I know it might sound like a dumb question, but why'd you think your legs were on fire like that? Because obviously you've been able to handle so much riding before that. I don't know. It was just... I don't know if I just let the adrenaline get to me during practice and... Yeah, maybe a bit of nerves or something. I wasn't... I don't think I was nervous. Um, but maybe just because it was, you know, three, four days of just absolute intensity that I hadn't prepared for, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was feeling confident and my legs were just, just burnt out and um, I just peaked too soon. Yeah, because I mean the Olympics is, uh, it makes me laugh so much when people are like, oh, the Olympics is the easiest race of the year because they just look at the sheet and there's obviously a limited r amount of riders there, but they're fucking crazy to think it's the easiest race of the year. It's the hardest one for sure. Yeah. ABA title, um, world title were always my, my big things growing up and then coming to the mid-2000s and we've got the Olympics thrown in there. It's like, shit, okay, well now, well, you know, I don't know what was actually making more money pre-Olympics actually or not. Um, but coming from a little country in New Zealand, you know, it certainly provided us with a level of funding that I wouldn't have got anywhere else to to make me allow me to do what I did. How was the How was the funny when you're on the team? Because it seems like now they don't even have any elite men going to the world. It doesn't seem like that much of a, a program at all. Nah, it's pretty. I don't know. I think it was. It might have even been early '16, just after I retired. Um, Trent Jones called me. He's like, "Hey man, New Zealand like cutting the funding. Like, what did you do?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like. I don't know, I just won some fucking races and demanded more money. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Simple like, formula. Fair enough. But I think, you know, I don't know if cycling in general was um, um, getting the funding or not, but, you know, it's, there's only a small population. It's only, what, less than 4 million, slightly over 4 million. Wow. But, um, you know, take something special. I think, I think Maynard would, you know, he, he keeps his head down for a couple of years. He could, he could show some potential. You know, mm -hmm. he's a, he's a fucking beast. You know, yeah. he needs to just keep telling him in Manchester and uh, Papendale, like, you're one of the biggest motherfuckers out there. You know, like, <laughs> he's a fucking monster. <laughs> demand, demand some space on the track. Stop giving it up to everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, like Tori always says, vision, you can't teach it. Can't teach vision. Yeah. Did you, so obviously Ken was the national team coach when in New Zealand for a lot of the period of time you were on the team. Did you work at all with him? Not much, to be honest. Um, I always felt, um, I was 
wasn't. No, actually, coming out of coming out of the surgery um, when John, uh, my trainer, was in the state uh, in Auckland, and then Ken was living in Auckland as well. I was spending three, four days a week up at his house to have access to that Purdy track. Um, yeah. And the gate and stuff up there, and so it was, you know having him there to do that and help me out with all that kind of stuff was, you know, you can't get those hours back on that he put in back then. Um, but then, I'm not sure how how long after that, I started noticing that he was coaching more like a super camp training thing, like 400 metre sprints, kind of thing like that. And that was something that I'd never agreed with and... At the same time, I was growing up as a, as a rider and um, understand like the sport was evolving in front of our eyes and, um, you know, there was nobody that could get better data than us riders doing it at the time and so we were always evolving and so I started drifting away from Ken's program and um, started doing all my own training and, uh, well, uh, my strength and conditioning was all done by John, but all gates and sprints and um, just track sessions and trails and all that was all done on my behalf. I think it's impressive you did that back then, especially because BMX was still fairly new Olympic sport, and I think there was still a lot of trial and error going on when it came to training. Yeah, call me stubborn, you know. Nobody, nobody ahead of me was, or nobody supposedly, you know, in charge of me had ever been anywhere ahead of me you know yeah. so I always questioned every decision they made and burned a lot of bridges along the way I'm sure um, but what was your uh... what was a quickly evolving sport I wanted to make sure I was doing to stay at the top of it I was always curious what your science was behind like I know you're a guy that liked to lift on race days and then you even decided to try bringing a lifting bar to the track was in Salt Lake City. What was the science behind that one? So, you know, BMX is an explosive sport, obviously. Um, and same with... Uh, and so I actually start... No, yeah, and same with um, powerlifting, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would never expect a powerlifter to take off powerlifting for two weeks before his uh, event kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and so all of our um, exercises and programs that, that I was doing was all based around a lot of power and lifting and all that kind of stuff. And so I started practicing at uh, um, Barry's house, when Barry and Caroline's uh, house, when they had the gate set up there. Mm-hmm. And without fail, Every time I lifted weights beforehand, whether it was an absolute slaughter fest in the morning, you know, hours before a gate session or um, 10 minutes before doing cleans or whatnot, without fail, I would get better times um, than later in the day. And so I could plan, you know, if I'm going to get the first nine gates are going to be amazing you know I can I can plan that I can get two 
stompers and practice straight out of the gate, not have to worry about doing the rest of the practice to save my laps, and then I've still got six gates left to to do good ones around the track. You know, didn't need to do any more, didn't need to do any less. Um, and it was working, you know. It got me to the bottom of the hill quick, it got me to the first turn quick, so just once I got out in front, I had to figure out how to stay there. <laughs> yeah, me, me, me and PH found that too. Like whenever we did a gym session in the morning, even if we did like a two and a half hour session, we'd go to the track that night, I'd fucking light it up. <laughs> like best times all like all week or all month would be after a gym session. People seem to be scared of that nowadays. No, I know, but I, I, I love lifting heavy before a race. Uh-huh. Like, I love it. Exactly. Yeah. Some people, some people are so scared to do that. Some people are so scared to do that. I don't know why. There's a lot of people that do that. I guess they're just scared of. I don't know. They're scared of mixing weights and bike, or I don't know. Scared again. scientific way to do it it's kind of like a different science to it but yeah i think a lot of people too when it comes to training because bmx has been around for a while now and people have always done things a certain way they're scared to try something new yeah yeah that's well i mean it's like anything what about the what about the bar and salt what about the bar in Salt Lake City? Did that ever, did, did that pan out, or is that just a, a one and done scenario? No, no, I did that a few times. Did you? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was always, I, um, like if I had access access to a gym at a race or whatnot, like if it was just a Planet Fitness or anything, I'd go in there and warm up before racing, no matter what state I'm in or country I'm in, and just Salt Lake. Um, I think there was another one close, just ones that I drove to, probably Arizona maybe. Um, I'd just take my 
bar and plates with me and have my warm-up equipment there. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever do anything between the motos or before the main or anything? I did at grands and stuff with the big-ass brakes between. Okay. How many times would you do it before during the race day? Would you just do it before mains? You know, I'd probably just do... You're making me flashback now. <laughs> Where was this one? I wouldn't overdo it, you know. It was just enough to make me feel like everything's awake. So maybe two, three sets of three with... Um, couple of plates on or and then you know once you once you primed after um grands uh motos are done at grands and stuff you know we're always keeping moving and so yeah yeah but depending on the weather outside you can't always fire off as much steam as you you would like beforehand so you know, anything was ever a miss just pick up the bar and away you go I like it. Oh, I fucking like it. That's awesome. Yeah, I like it. Not many people. Not many people would consider doing that now. No, but like track and field and other sports, they do it also. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not like I'm doing. No, it's not out of the blue. Like they, it's been around for a long time. Yeah, it's like. Although I just said I got a PB before New Zealand Worlds, it wasn't like I was going for fucking one rep max. You know, every single time I was, I was doing what was comfortable. Yeah. Huh. What about the? Uh, I heard some people talk about your gearing. Like you ran a, a forty three sixteen. I don't want to say religiously, but like that was like your famous gear or something. One eighties with one eighties. Was there? Yeah. That was just com- comfortable for you, or what? It. Um, I think it started. So I, my entire life, I had shit starts, and then. Like in New Zealand, I'd always race from behind, and then we went to Australia, I'd always race from behind, and then started doing the UCI stuff, and motherfuckers started slingshotting. (laughs) um, They brought out random start, and I still couldn't figure it out, but you know, I was always learning how to race from behind, so that was the benefit. Um, But then I was like, I gotta figure out a way to get in front, and then. I think I dropped to a 43 to learn how to get a random start to get a better reaction time because we were in Eagle on the old track, the original one, and it was with Roger Rinkadink, and (laughs) he was consistently snapping me out, and I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I just, you know, dropped down a gear, and here we are, we were, you know, I just caught six inches on him then. That he'd been putting on me, and then we went from there into Frejus 2007, and I won. I was like, "Well, my scaring seems good enough then." <laughs> so just made it work from then on out. If I needed to pedal faster for a longer first straight, I changed my sprints before that to have more top end and work that end of the sprint. And if I wasn't expecting to do top end at another race, then I'd shift it and focus on start and acceleration and that kind of stuff. I think no matter. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd always switch my um, gears and stuff during training, and um, well, not not uh, like some people change it, you know, two or three 
cogs a day kind of thing. I wasn't like that. I did it for a little bit under, I think that was under Grant. But once it was, um, I just tried to make it go faster, beat the timers. How, how was it working with Grant when Grant was the uh, coach in New Zealand? Because I think I remember reading something when I was younger. It didn't end well, did it? No. No, it was actually buried Dan Hatchet in uh, uh, Manchester. Actually, had a good good talk with, with Grant and then also again in uh, Papadale. So that was, you know, that was me holding a grudge for fucking however many years it's been. He never seemed like a guy that was worried about speaking his mind. I think we need that more of that in our sport, like we've talked about before. Yeah, but because also I've bit my tongue a few times. I'm sure. <laughs> but no, it was. Um, yeah, I don't know where that came from. Whether it's whether it's just a Kiwi thing, or um, yeah, I was even growing up as a kid with bullies and stuff. <laughs> I was never wonder, you know, bite my tongue. I'd always say something to get myself in trouble. Um, but maybe that's maybe that's part of the success. It gives me that edge to not give a fuck. <laughs> got anything before I go to the quick shots, James? Actually, you know what? I got a question. All right, 2010 Supercross. Did you give a fuck when Sylvan put you over the turn? <laughs> oh, mate. That was my most exciting race of all time watching, so. Other oh, than 2011. Period. Especially because he didn't even go on to win it. I think he got fifth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and he was what was he first year junior that year? First year? Was, no, second second year second year junior. He just won the worlds. Yeah. Yeah. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I was I was, was going to say I hope uh, I had written in my notes down here. I was 
hope the French team doesn't get too hard for him going into the next Olympics and he gets pipped again, but I might take that back now. <laughs> <laughs> were, were you pissed when I blasted you in Phoenix for third in 2011? Oh, shit. You're going back into some details now. <laughs> I don't know, man. They're all a fog, to be honest. Which turn? Last one. It was the one at Speed World, the Supercross race. Oh. oh, yes, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, were, you, were you in Japan? Yeah. In yeah, yeah. Oh, seven? Yeah, I was like 15. Yeah, was I there? Yeah, I think you were there, yeah. Yeah, right, okay. There was an international race and we all went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you guys went to, the, I think, the Beijing test event after that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I was young. I was only 15. Right. Just a little baby. I know. James, quick shots. You got anything else? No, that's about it. All right. We got a lot of questions from some fans. So, you know the quick shots? Are you familiar? Sure. All righty. All right. I'll start us off. This one's from at Connor Hedges. How did the hometown crowd in 2013 affect you during racing? How did the world champs is talking about? You know, I think... I actually think the crowd was on my side. I, I don't remember explicitly now, but the funny thing was the media leading up to that race, I was excluded from the press day. I remember that. For the national team and the national press because I spoke my mind on how fucking dog shit the track was <laughs> and how Barry's backyard pump track would have been far more suitable. <laughs> and, so, Known? Are you known in New Zealand? No. 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 Maybe my hometown used to be. Not anymore. Mm. Sarah. Sarah's known in New Zealand for sure. Yeah. Uh, at Nick Long sixty four, how much absinthe did you drink at the Max in twenty twelve? You know, if he can remember that night, he obviously had much less than I did. <laughs> so there has been a few nights at the Max with absinthe, and so I could not tell you. You know, one night. It was the first, oh, sure, I don't know which year it was. They told me, it must have been this one, maybe. They, I asked what I had to do, because I've always collected bottles of absinthe. Sure, these are quick shot questions, aren't they? Yeah, who cares? Doesn't matter, just go for, go for it. <laughs> I've always collected bottles of absinthe. Ever since I was 15-ish, I was introduced to this poison of alcohol and how incredible it was at messing you up. And I always kept finding these new, weird-looking bottles. And whenever I'd travel Europe at the airports, I'd find more of them and more of them. And so I've got about 15, 16 of them now. And we're at the Max in Tulsa, and I was like, I need that bottle. What do I got to do to take that bottle? He's like, you got to drink all the absinthe. I said, well, pour me some shots. <laughs> and so, I woke, up, I woke up the next morning in my hotel bed with an empty bottle of absinthe next to me. I was like, well, I guess that was a success. <laughs> <laughs> I did some shots of absinthe with Nick in Berlin at that, after that World Cup. Oh, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's, it's like the, the 
worst black jelly beans you could ever have. Oh, it's like now. gasoline. I be able to drink these days, but. <laughs> uh, go yeah, from at, uh, Hugo Oliveira fifty one. Do you miss anything about racing? Fair. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. At Justin McClintock, how many chains did you snap during training in your last season? Yeah, I don't know. Um, another one. Clueless. Lots? None? Lots. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> uh, from at Kyle Gress, it's a, a double shot, so two and one. It says, uh, do you miss the boneyard? And if so, what do you miss the most? At Justin McClintock, ever been in a Tulsa bar brawl? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> no, uh, what was it? It was uh, 14, maybe. We were all out on the night before practice. Um, this was pretty much, I think, yeah, this was the, the year pre-retirement, but I was already kind of, you know, heading down that road, not caring so much anymore. They're out drinking the night before, night before practice or something. And I see and hear this guy say to Alyssa Snyder, you need to get the fuck out of here. Oh, boy. And so my first reaction is, you cannot fucking speak to her like that. But it turns out, you know, after a bit of ranting and raving and pushing and shoving, he was the bar owner, and they were closing. But that's why they were trying to get us to leave. Epic misread. <laughs> <laughs> but then somebody... No. Yeah. And so I walked away, and I walked to the door, and then... Corey Stafford's on crutches at the door because he just had knee surgery. And he said something to me, and I turn around because someone behind me has thrown a punch at either the, you know, one of the bartenders or something. And then, so I just go into protection mode and get a couple of bounces and headlocks. And then um, a few other riders and uh, whatnot were involved in... Then we went to practice the next day. <laughs> uh, oh, that was a good. At MTBMXer, when and why did you decide to get that big number one tattoo on your back? Kind of mentioned. Uh, yeah, like I said earlier, it's just when I was. Um, when was I? Was I think it was two thousand? It was 05 or six. When I kind of knew, I was like, right, I'm getting a sniff of victory here so I'm dedicating even more to this and um, thought of you know it's cool to have the have the one on your back on your jersey for the time you do, you're doing it and you that helps you be better to keep 
put on there, and so I was like, let's make this shit permanent. <laughs> you know? Perhaps I would think it differently now. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. From at uh, Cam underscore Malone, would you consider racing Vet Pro? Never. No. At Berm Academy, we need more characters like you who let their personality shine through. But what is your num? What is your one one RM for caffeine intake on race day? That would be. That would be in the thousands, you know. Jesus. Um, I know one day specifically, it wasn't a race day; it was a gym day. But I just I went to Sip. You remember Sipcoy's house when he had that supercross track? Yeah, yeah, so mm-hmm. sick. So I went there to ride one day, and first jump, first lap knocked myself out stupid and but my trainer was already on his way he'd like just landed on his flight from Denver because we were doing gym testing the next day and so I had to do one RMs the next day after having a fucking concussion <laughs> and so we went to Starbucks and I got a venti black eye so whatever one of those is worth 400 and then, and then I had 1200 milligrams of no-dose and then went to the gym and had a whole bunch of failures at 1RMs and gym testing and then spent the next three days in the fetal position <laughs> like it was fucking dying. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, from at Tyler Brown 316, what happened to your pedals? What does he mean? I don't I'm know. Not, I'm not sure that was just a question. Yeah, no. <laughs> TB, we're not sure what oh, it he means. Might, he might be meaning Oh, really? I didn't even notice. Okay. Um, at Megan Williams underscore NZ, double shot, are you satisfied with your BMX career and did you achieve everything you had set out to achieve? satisfied with your career even though you didn't get a world champ title 100% yeah awesome uh, from at Elise will be 11 it was Elise post but I changed it because yeah. mm. uh, she just asked toughest competitor Um, and so just his commitment to 
to what he does. I knew that's what it took. And I just looked for inspiration everywhere. It's um, even even today, you know, seeing him do what he does and fight through it and fucking trot along, you know. Yeah, yeah. He still won't be fucking. He learned. I taught him how to uh, drive stick shift back in the day. It was rather <laughs> funny driving him home from Hamilton BMX track in New Zealand. He wanted to drive. And he probably sat at an intersection for five minutes, just stalling because I didn't get out and just take over, <laughs> take over the fucking seat. He was just holding everybody out. <laughs> That's funny. At Schmidt994, would the 4316 with 180 crank still work nowadays? I can't see why not. You know, it's, no one's, well, not that I'm aware of, is done the science on fucking you know leg length RPMs crack lengths who's got what and you know New Zealand was working on some wizardry back in the day that obviously went bust <laughs> so I think if someone did the science on there's a reason for everything if it's suitable for you then then do it yep. it helps you get out it helps you get out in front first go for it Speaking of science with NZ, whatever happened to your guys' study when you had to stick a thermometer up your butt or something? <laughs> I, unfortunately, was not a part of that. <laughs> what the fuck was that about? Uh, I, I can't remember what that was. Was that to do with science? I, I remember hearing about something like that or something to get your internal temperature or something. Like, I don't know. Seems, seems really useful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're sports scientists. We need to use our degrees for something here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, next one from at JS underscore BMX. He says, what's the lowest age you would recommend for cannabis or CBD products? Good question. Mm. Uh, consult your doctor who's in the know. Um, you know, it's, you can't say nothing's for, um, Everything's for everybody, but you know when you've got children with epilepsy and um, autism and stuff like that who see absolute like, definitive benefits, and there's studies going on that are showing proof of um, shrinking tumors and stuff. You know, it's never say no, but like anything, you've just got to do your research because. Unfortunately, it's still not being forced out there as it should be. I've seen videos of kids having seizures or people telling stories, parents saying the kids has hundreds of seizures a day and now they have CBD or they're taking CBD and the kids like sometimes not even getting them throughout the day now. It's crazy. That is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, that's like, so, I mean, one, smoking or vaping for kids, no, absolutely not. But cannabinoids in general, you know, we're going down a whole other wormhole here, but yeah, yeah. 100%, 100% if for whatever reason they're required, then yes. At T at T B nine handlebar recommendations and height. Ooh. Fucking put on some ape hangers. <laughs> uh, I think I, I think I always slammed my 
us near a tube because anything higher than the head tube was a waste of weight. <laughs> Straight up, yeah. Slam them down, put them north, baby. Put them north. <laughs> Slam them down, cut the stair tube off, and away you go. And put them forward. Yeah. I, I realize the older you get, the more forward the bars get. <laughs> when, when I hop on my bike now, I must have set it up however I pulled it apart. You know, believe me, I haven't ridden far. But, oh, it feels very, very rough. I rode down to the trails actually last week to catch up with Barry. He was down there. I didn't ride the trails, I rode down to the trails. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was bad how just wonky a bike feels. I think a good race setup isn't comfortable to ride. No, no it's, not it's not comfortable right like if you wanted to just do skills and have fun you can make the bike like slam the back end have like a higher front end but the way we ride our bikes now they're not fun they're not comfortable or really fun to ride the setup not at all no quick question it's still manual i'll do one of those on the way under still got a little something in there <laughs> did you ever have a custom bike like did you ever customize the specs at all because i remember for a while you were running i think just like a a no-name brand i'm not sure that just because we have sponsorship stuff but was there ever a custom dimensions, custom specs? Uh, no. Nothing like that. I don't think so. I kind of just got the frame that I got, but then um, I also got some shitters, which um, made me realize what was actually need, like required in a bike and whatnot, and I, you know. Mm -hmm. I still love the 20 mil. Could feel the difference from the both the bottom brackets and the axles and all that kind of shit. Um, but as far as frame specs, no. Okay, that's great. Last question from uh, at Scott six four eight. He says, "How can an athlete train and improve their mentality to be as strong and aggressive as you were?" Yeah, you know, it's your brain is a um, a muscle that's in charge of all your other muscles. If you don't have control of it, then you're shit out of luck. <laughs> and you're not going to get control of it until you train it. And that's... Everybody's different. Everyone's got their own thing. But you've got to figure out a way to work mental toughness. And whether that's through meditation and shutting things off or, you know, um, that's what worked for me. Did you ever work with a sports psych? Every now and then, um, I worked with a guy from New Zealand that was probably around the surgery time, maybe. Um, and then worked with Jay Rich a little towards the end. Uh, oh, cool. I was, kinda, I was already kind of clocking out, trying to trying to get him to help me find a reason to stick around, you know? <laughs> Dude, do you listen to his podcast? I like talking to him. Yeah. Yeah, really smart guy. Yeah. Well, thanks, Willie. That's all we had, man. It was really good to catch up. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was cool to hear your story and stuff. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. I had a blast listening to that. Yeah, yeah. I hope to see you soon next time in Cali. Maybe let's meet up for dinner or something. Absolutely. Come on by. Yeah, man. Yeah, take care, buddy. Thanks, Willie. See ya. Later. Ooh, that was a good one. Ooh, that was a good one. That was fantastic. It really was. Yeah, that was really fun yeah. to talk to him. I really didn't know much of his background, like his racing stuff, or even what he does now. I just know him from like 2011, 2012, like when he was dominating. 
So that was actually really interesting just to hear some of his background stories. There. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a good conversation. All the stuff he's doing now was really interesting. Obviously, he's an all, anytime you talk to someone you kind of looked up to, or I raced in my, yeah, I raced in my first years of elite and stuff, and it was cool. It, it's fun to hear what makes riders tick. That's a huge thing it's for me. It's fun. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so fun. much different for other people. Like, it's really interesting. For somebody that seems like he was more of like an intimidating guy, like just the way, I mean, I guess he loved to race the bike, like to hear that he meditated to get himself focused and it's hyped cool. up, like, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's cool. He did. He was so like self-motivated and self-driven. He just completed his own thing at the races. I always thought that was pretty impressive. That's, Rents his own yeah. car, stays by himself, like, yeah. yeah, it's cool. No, I think that really, I feel like I never really noticed that, but... If thinking back, like, yeah, he was kind of on yeah. his own when he'd come to the races sometimes. And then he'd just freaking dominate. Yeah, he was always friendly, but he just liked doing his own thing. Yeah, and that's, that sucks. It, like, I mean, in sport, we have to do that sometimes to get into that state that we need to be competitive in. But it's too bad sometimes you have to do that because it'd be fun if you could just have fun all the time. But uh, we're athletes. I mean, that's what you got to do, right? You got to find what makes you tick. You got to find how you can get in your own zone and how you can be the best you can be, like Sam said in his as well. Yeah, yeah. He was, he's taking part. He's been in the finals of two of the most exciting races in history. 2010, Mark? Chula, yeah. yeah. And then 2011, uh, where was it? London Testament. Oh, those were two good ones. The two most yeah, exciting those two, races. Those are two good ones. Yeah. Those are two good ones. Those are two, like, all-timers. That one, the real, the real final had to be up there, too. The real final was, yeah. Yeah, the real final yeah. had to be up there, too. And then uh, Argentina last year, it kind of came into it a little bit. Do you remember seeing that? Yeah, one? I watched it. Yeah, I was How close there was like yeah. really battling, but yeah. But I didn't think the final itself was like. No, it wasn't. Yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. like lead change. No, it was just like the finish was cool, but yeah. 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 So no, that was awesome. Uh, do we have another rant? Oh yeah, go for it. You want to do have another it? rant? We put this in there because Tori <laughs> mentioned it, and um, it's not a rant. We're kind of we'll say we're curious. We get we got to get her on the show. So the Russian girl Afromova. Uh, yeah, I think so. Afromova. So we all seen her do her like twirly stuff in the pits. I think I'd call it circus. Yeah, something. I don't know if it's for warm up. I think it's some sort of warm up slash meditation thing. So she think, gets yeah. yeah. So she gets in the zone, kind of relaxes, does her thing. But what I don't understand is why she can't do it like in front of her pit, and she goes to the middle of the pits in Paris to do it in front of everybody. Was that where it was? Like she's putting on a show. I mean, maybe it is. Like, I, that is like a circus thing. Maybe she's trying to like be a circus. Why do you want to go? Like, you obviously want everyone to watch you. I guess. You obviously want everyone to watch yeah. you going in the middle of the pits to do it. She wants to show her skills off. I guess. It's kind of funny. It is. I, it is curious though if it is meditation. So maybe going in the middle makes her zone in a little more and then she has to focus. I, I feel like it has to be because she wants people to watch her. Yeah. What other reason would you want to do that? She's got to start lighting those things on fire. If I was doing that, I would want to do it like away from everyone in my own little world. I mean, yeah. I would too. Maybe, I would want to do it in front of the Maybe need the sp- that's the only space she had. I don't know. No, I think she wants to be watched. Any of the Russians that uh, have some intel on this would be curious to know. I wonder if you have any Russian Russian listeners. I actually I, I doubt it. Too. I doubt it. Too. I doubt it too. Yeah, but if you do, let us know. This this is very interesting. Maybe we get Afromova on the show. Just a quick. We got one question for you. We want to know what the hell this tour? Who's got her number? Is. Send in her number. We'll cold call her. <laughs> <laughs> we need to cold call somebody on the show. Uh, we need to cold call Afromova and ask. Yeah, we do. And we also need to be able to do this live so we can have more debate. Ooh, a live, a live stream would be good. That'd be really cool. Thanks, ProGate Europe. Yeah, ProGate Europe and uh, Motorsheets.com, two sponsors of the show again. Today. We might be pulling on another sponsor of the show. Yeah. Got a message yesterday. We might be getting our third spawn All right, so keep an eye out. Yeah, might, keep an eye. might get our third spawn anything, uh, anything else before we wrap up? Yeah, side topic, merchandise. Okay, the oh, merch. merch. We've yeah, been talking merch. about getting some merch down. We've had people like jokingly tell us too as well. There were some requests in Paris for some merch, so... We're looking into it. Yeah, we're looking into it. I'm thinking, I said t-shirts because it's basic. I heard mugs though. I'm thinking coffee cups is is a a no-brainer. Or a hat or something would be pretty basic too. 
Yeah, keep an eye out. We might even get some merch Send going. us what you want. Send us what you think. Yeah. Snap on Green has merch. We need merch. We should get our own uh, coffee bean is what we should really get. You had your own coffee bean. Where'd that happen? Uh, they, they dropped me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get them back down. We got a podcast going. Okay, we could use it. We them. need our own coffee chatter bean. That would be awesome. But uh, no, I think that's about it. Uh, anything up next? No. I think, really. yeah, I think we got a little bit of a break. Salt Lake City, I think, is uh, this weekend. It's mm-hmm. a pro race again. Mm-hmm. They changed it. Is this weekend? It is this weekend. I think it's yeah, this, it weekend. this weekend. Yeah, so that'll this be exciting. Weekend. But yeah. other than that, for us, we got uh, some time off here and just keep on keeping on, you keep know? Keep on keeping on. Keep on the recovery process, hanging out at home, enjoying the sunshine. And mm-hmm. That's about it. All right, until next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Later.